0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: You want a head job somewhere and you, you don't control where that is. So it's kind of like, well, what if it's this place or what if it's that place? Do you take it? Or, you know, I, I could sit there and wait on Georgia forever. Days, day and age with the transfer portal, it gives you a way out. I'd heard all year from friends in Tuscaloosa that they liked the younger quarterback better than Jalen. I kept hearing that. I would hear that. Now, of course, I didn't think we were going to play him.
2: Yo, welcome to a special edition of All Things Covered, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. The name says it all. It's me, BMAC, and you're about to hear a dope conversation I had with Georgia head football coach Kirby Smart. Pat will be with us tomorrow for our full-length episode featuring another big-time guest. I repeat, another big-time guest will be joining us here on All Things Covered. If you like what you hear, download and subscribe, and make sure you leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. Just visit youtube.com slash Covered. And now, the man of the hour, Kirby Smart. Welcome listeners, viewers, all things covered. Just like the mailman, we will deliver a top-notch guest every week. You better believe it. You can count on that. And once again, we have an outstanding guest joining us here. This individual is well-known throughout the college football ranks. This individual is well-known throughout football ranks. A four-time national champion as an assistant, 2017 SEC champion for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, he's joining us right now as he's currently getting ready to participate in the Peach Bowl this Friday against Cincinnati, Kirby Smart, head coach, Georgia football uh, program, outstanding individual. And Kirby, before we get into... Football, right? I want to just give the listeners a, a, a little insight about me and your relationship. I Absolutely. first met I first met Kirby Smart nineteen ninety nine, and as, as you guys know, who's been following the show, I was a top rated corner coming out of South Florida, Hollywood MacArthur. You see the Mustang jersey in the back yes, uh, to sir. my uh, to my left. So my five official visits were to Miami, Florida State, Tennessee, Michigan, and Georgia. So when I visited Georgia, I flew into Atlanta Airport hartsville jackson airport and guess who picked me up from the airport kirby smart, kirby smart. yes sir yes who, who didn't sign me back you had the trailblazer you remember you, you had the trailblazer
1: right that was the trailblazer you had trailblazer sure was yes sir After, i was i was a ga i was freshly cut from 98 season by the Indianapolis Colts, I'd been at the Col- Colts with uh, Marvin Harrison and uh, Peyton Manning. Didn't last long. I came back, decided to get into coaching, and the first job they gave me was like, okay, you got to be able to recruit. So they sent me to the airport to pick up all the, the big five stars that were flying in. BMAC was flying in. He was supposed to be the top corner of the country, and we had to sign him. I was young then. I was fresh out of college, but I didn't sign Mac. But you know <laughs> I still got the coaching.
2: No question. No question. We're going to talk about that also. It was a small role. I tell people all the time, it's a small role. You never know who you may meet and who you might meet again. And Kirby, man, that was a nice ride from Atlanta to Athens, being able to talk with you then. And never know, at that time, didn't think I would potentially see you again if I didn't sign with Athens. But we're going to talk about how we reunited later on in my collegiate career. But first and foremost, Kirby, an unprecedented season when you talk about sports in general. Right. Collegiately, professionally, there was a lot that was going on with the pandemic. You know what I mean? And the safety of the players and the coaches, the fans, the whole nine. But looking at the season, you guys were able to finish the regular season. How did you think the season
1: went overall? You know, it was very unique. I've never experienced and I've been fortunate to coach right at, you know, 20 years, 21 years. It was absolutely so different. I mean, the the stress and the pressure that the, the players were under, student athletes. So many of our guys lost a routine. The routine used to be, man, I get up, I go to class, I go to academics, I see normal students, I have a social life. And now it was like, I'm living in a room, I'm doing all my classes in a room, I'm on a Zoom, and then I go over to football, then I go back home and I repeat the process. And it really put like the off-season put our guys in some dark places, man, because they weren't seeing family members. They weren't allowed to go anywhere socially. And, you know, as young men, we like to be in a college town, go out, do things, meet people, see people on campus. They had no social life outside of football, and it was just very different. It was just very different for our kids this year. Well,
2: you had two cancellations and one postponed game. You know, how did you keep the guys focused and dialed in when games were getting canceled and there there was nothing you can do about it?
1: Nothing you can do about it. And you didn't find out what someone got us. So you would practice all week. And, you know, you get to Thursday and you's kind of like, okay, man, we're ready to go. And then, bam, the game's canceled. I'm like, wait, we just practiced four or five days for this. So now you're telling me we're going to play that team again in two weeks? And the kids are like, we got to practice again four or five days to get ready? You know, and, and that, that got to be taxing mentally on them. And it was tough, not knowing the unknown. I mean, every day you might go to practice, we're pulling a guy like we're going to flex and we're going, Oh, okay. He's out today. His COVID test came back and he's positive. And I'm like, wow, wait. So he, he's not out there. So he had all these reps and now he's pulled and then you got to contact trace him. So his roommate's out. So your practice organization, cause the tests didn't come back maybe as fast as we wanted. We tested, you know, one day and then we didn't get the results back till the next day. It was, it was the most different thing I've ever experienced. And, and our guys really handled it well. And it was like, mm-hmm. if he's out and I'm up, then I got to go play his position.
2: Yeah, no question. You guys did handle the situation as well as possible. Uh, guys were dialed in and focused. And because of that, you're getting prepared for an upcoming bowl game, uh, this Friday in Atlanta. You make the quick drive up to Atlanta, uh, getting ready for this Peach Bowl matchup against Cincinnati. What are you looking for from your ball club in this, in, in this ball game coming up against
1: Cincinnati? Man, we got to play one of our best games. You know, they're, they're an undefeated team. So they played really well. What gets you is when you look and you got nine starters, nine seniors starting on defense. When you wow. got nine seniors starting in college football, I mean, you got opt outs, you got juniors come out early, you got transfers. These guys got nine seniors. I mean, that's like unheard of. I don't know time mm-hmm. anybody in the SEC had nine seniors because what happens is you're always replacing players that either Left early because they, you know, they, they could go play in the NFL or they weren't playing and they transferred because they were supposed to be playing. They thought they should have been. You just never see nine seniors on a team anymore. So they all know the defense really well. Offensively, they got the player of the year at quarterback. So I mean, we're looking for our guys to play our best game. And unfortunately, you know, we got three or four guys that are going to be draft picks that have decided they're going to not play in the bowl game, which I understand and respect, but it gives another guy a chance. Yeah, we don't have some new faces out there. Yeah, no
2: question. And you talk about uh, this is an opportunity for guys who probably didn't play as much as they wanted to during the season to show up and show you guys as a staff that they can be dependable going forward. And you look at the college football ranks, of course, you know, when it comes to the playoff standpoint, you know, every big name school has playoff aspirations. And the top four teams were released over a week ago. Uh, do you believe they got it right? Did the best four teams make the playoffs?
1: Well, my my personal rankings that I had to send in is uh, they publicize your rankings. You know, if you're a coach, that's one of the coaches poll. You know, yep. I take a couple of SEC schools in there, and I know you're a big ACC guy, so I got I got tread lightly on that. But I like to no I don't- no, no you get we know filter here
2: in all things covered, coach. <laughs> we, you know, you a DB, a former DB, a DB I'm a former DB. <laughs> we got to right. take chances. Yeah. So that's what right. was
1: your what was what was your top four? Well, I mean, it, it probably was unfair to a lot of teams out there, and I'll probably get, you know, chastised for it. But I just feel like uh, Alabama was there, uh, yep. was there. And then after them, it's it's really a debate. I feel like those are the two best teams in college football. But with the schedule and the rigors that our guys play, and I always go off NFL guys, I always ask guys, where's the best football played? Where's the most talent? And they're like, you're in, you're out. The SEC has the SEC. drafted. And it doesn't mean that they're the best teams. And you're yeah. asking who are the best teams. But I know the most talent, person having played, uh, Texas a and Florida, you know, those are two teams that I feel like, uh, one of the two probably should have been in the, in the four and it didn't happen, you know, so you live with it, you deal with it. The great thing is you get to have that debate, you know, guys like you get to sit back and say, who should it be? Cause you, yeah. know, they argue eight teams to be in there. If they had eight, who <laughs> ninth and tenth were. But I definitely think the SEC team should have been included.
2: And and, and to back that point from you, you know, me just covering uh, college football throughout the year, specifically the SEC uh, having the game of the week on uh, CBS, Ohio State... They can say whatever they want to say about Ohio State about the talent and the expectations. You should not be able to get the same opportunity as a team that played a full season when you only played six ball games. Because the thing I know about football, and you know as well as a coach, the more opportunities you step up on the football field, the more opportunities you have to lose, right? right? And we saw two close ball games with Indiana and Northwestern, and they won them. But me personally, that's not fair to the other teams that went to battle ten games. No know, nine games, whatever the case may be, whatever COVID allowed you to do, right? And you took advantage of those opportunities. So me personally, I have an asterisk behind Ohio State. And the same can be said for Notre Dame. Me personally. Notre Dame, I know Notre Dame is the money getter. You know what I mean? That's a pres- prestigious football program. They bring top dollar. But the way they performed in the ACC championship game, I don't want to see Notre Dame get into the playoffs and lay down like they've done in years past. And they're playing against a grown man. a a beast in a team and you know firsthand if you don't have if you don't have your chin strap buckled on right it can get ugly against the crimson tide. so me personally it is what it is i understand the logistics of the playoff rankings and things like that it's a money get it it's a money opportunity but there's an ashes behind ohio state for me and notre dame so i'm just going to say what you probably don't want to say kirby but i understand where (laughs) you're coming from because we watch football and the eye in the sky does not lie
1: no, it doesn't. The physicality and the line of scrimmages are so uh uh big there. I mean, I I look at Alabama's offensive line and it's you know, it, it they, they've got five linemen that are gonna be playing in the NFL within well, the next two years. They're just extremely physical and big. it's gonna be interesting to see them match up uh with Notre Dame and then you know, if they win, who they'll match up with next.
2: Yeah, and then of course you got what Ohio State will play Clemson. Clemson. We saw that last year. Like I said, I have an asterisk behind Ohio State, but they get a chance to right their wrongs, right? In my personal opinion, they beat Clemson. Then of course, they should have been there. But if they lay down against Clemson, you know, the, the first debate will be, well, they had no business in the playoffs. And speaking of Ohio State, you look at the quarterback matchup, Trevor yeah. Lawrence, Justin Fields. Justin Fields was the guy that you once coached uh, because of the transfer portal, something I don't like as a former player because one thing I hate about the transfer portal, it does not teach accountability. Right. You know what I mean? And sometimes you need to leave, sometimes you don't need to leave. And I'm come. I'm come from the old school just like you, but the transfer transporters is something that I think is handicapping a lot of kids because they don't get what they want as fast as they would like to get it. Um but when it came to Justin Fields, do you believe that, you know, he should have probably stayed with you guys a little longer or was it better for both parties to kind of go their separate ways?
1: That's a great question, B Mac. He's a number one, he's a great kid. Your know, sister plays softball here. Uh he's very bright just well-rounded kids, and so many players on the team really loved him. I think with the new recruiting age that we live in and the hype that follows, you know, the, the number one premier player, I mean, he and Trevor were, were really the top two players coming out in the country, and they happened to be 30 miles from each other. And a lot of comparisons happened with Justin to Trevor. So it was very evident to us early on in the year that as Trevor had success and began to play, and I think the Texas A&M game, he got in and played more and more, you know, Justin felt the same way that, Hey, I'm as good as him and I should get an opportunity to play. And you know, at the time we had Jake Fromm, who was playing pretty well. He was playing good football and went, went toe to toe with Alabama in the SEC championship game. And you know, we didn't play real good defensively, but Jake did a lot of good things. It was a really a tough situation to manage because Justin is extremely talented. Um, mm-hmm. days, day and age with the transfer portal, it gives you a way out, you know, it no gives you a way to go and go play somewhere right away. And it, you can't say it hadn't benefited him because he got to go to a really good program. He got to play right away, and he's played a lot more football um, because he chose to go there. So you can't say that it was wrong or right, but I would say what you said earlier, the, the accountability factor and, you know, guys sticking it out. Sometimes it pays off to do that, especially at other positions. The yeah. quarterback is unique because there's only one. Yeah, He's only on the field, one. You go to DB, you know, it's like if I'm not the best corner, then I need to play safety. I might play nickel. I might play dime. Mm-hmm. So many other places to play and grow as a player and develop – where you could be patient quarterback it's hard because there ain't but one up on the field.
2: Yeah. Last question. When you look at this current uh, college football season, if you had a vote when it comes to the Heisman award, who do you believe should win the Heisman?
1: That's a great question. You know, and I usually wouldn't answer that, but you know, I, I I'm not going to be politically correct. And I'm going to say, who I think the best player is and everybody will know why I think he's the best player because of what he's done against Georgia, Devontae Smith. Oh, 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 this yeah. is a young man that, that I had in camp when he was in the eighth and ninth grade when I at uh-huh. and I was in Alabama where he weighed like 125. He was so small in the eighth and ninth grade and he was so talented. And, he, and by the time he got to be maybe a junior, or senior, he was like 155. And at one time he was actually committed to Georgia and not many people remember that he was wow. from Georgia. Decommitted to Georgia and ends up going to Alabama. You know, won the national championship on the last play of the game against us, and then played a phenomenal game against us this year. You know, we had two good corners all draped all over him. You couldn't ask him to cover him any better. He comes yes, in, sir. breaks better than anybody I've ever seen. He catches the ball. You know, going back to the quarterback, and to me, he's the best player in college
2: football. And right now, you know, the money is backing what you're saying. He is the odds-on favorite to win. The Heisman oh, really? Award, no question, he is the odds-on favorite. And the crazy part about Devonte Smith in this year, with him being the favorite to win the Heisman, in the beginning of the season, he didn't even have any odds. You couldn't put any money on him. He was not even on the board. That's the thing, Kirby. His name was nowhere on the board. And I think around mid-October or something like that, he was plus three thousand. Right? He was clearly not anywhere in the the, the, the top of the board, he was plus 3,000. So think about this. When his name first surfaced on the board, he was plus 3,000. If anybody put any money on him, they're smiling from ear to ear because I do believe he will win the highest. And speaking of Devontae, and I said this coming into this season, right, we highlighted, uh Jerry, Judy from last year. Yep. Guys, you played against Rugs. Rugs. But I said, and this is what I said last, coming into this season, the best pure wide receiver was Devontae Smith last year. Just when you look at the statistics and everything that he did, and I'm like – well, that's not really a big drop off because you got the best pure wide receiver who's probably the best football player too at that position because he's a football player. Football he's, player. He, he's, he's a fast guy, but he's not the biggest guy, but he plays with a big heart. He plays with a lot yeah. of energy. Hey, he
1: blocks on the perimeter. He does a lot of good things. And the, the best thing, the amazing thing to me is, you know, people don't talk about it. He had a choice to come out last year. Like he could no. have come out And all these first rounds. It, it was a, it was a wide receiver loaded draft. If you go back and look at Judy, the City Lamb, Rugs, all these great wide I want to say four or five guys went in the first. Yeah. Uh, Je- Jefferson from LSU. Yeah, 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 yeah. LSU is probably having the best season. If you look yeah. at all that and say, this kid could have came out, he decided to come back to Alabama and he may walk away with a Heisman <laughs> trophy.
2: <laughs> yeah. That, that the, is crazy the first to be receiver in, in First receiver since Desmond Howard, by the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So right now he's the odds favorite, And like I said, in the beginning of the season, Kirby, he was not even on the board. No one thought he had a shot to win the Heisman. And hopefully somebody put something on the line when he was plus three thousand because they're going to cash in big time. <laughs> Kirby, so let's let's transition to your career, coaching career, playing career. What people don't probably some people might not remember about you. Once upon a time, you were number 16. For right. Georgia, right? You know what I mean? War number 16 with the big shoulder pads, you know, commanding the <laughs> secondary. Uh, you had a successful career playing at Georgia, but when did you eye a coaching career? I know your, your father uh, coached you as well. He was a ball coach. But at what point in time did you eye coaching the game of football?
1: Probably when I walked in that uh, Bill Polian's office, the general manager, and he told me that I was no longer going to be part of the Colts. And he said, mm-hmm. you can go over to NFL Europe or you could become a coach. And he was like, I think you'll make a really good coach, but your your future is not playing safety in the NFL or playing corner. So once I heard that, I went back to Athens, and uh, I didn't have much else to do. And a lot of people offered me a couple of business jobs in Atlanta, financial jobs, yeah. and I said, you know what, I'm going to try this coaching out. And once I tried it out, I kind of fell in love with it. you. Know, I don't feel like I worked a day in my life, B-Mac, because all I've done is coach. Uh, And that's the key. When you're doing something that you love to do, it doesn't feel like work. You don't get tired of doing
2: it. You know what I mean? That's why I wanted to transition that was as close to the game of football as possible. And the only thing that I can think of outside of coaching is talking about it. You know what I mean? So I'm right there with you. It does not feel like work. It feels like a part of life. Inhale and exhale. And that's what I'm doing. I'm glad to hear the same thing. That's that's why you're successful at it. Because when you love what you're doing, you're going to find every way to be successful at, at it you know what i mean so uh hats off to you and that's something quality that i say all the time why while you, why while you were playing at uga you play alongside one of the greatest to ever do it and champ bailey you know and and i remember when i visited georgia we talked about this earlier in the show there was a, a newspaper clipping that you guys had of me but it was like, it was Champ Bailey, Champ Bailey's body, but it had number eight. And the article was, cause I played both ways in high school and it was like, yo, he could be the next Champ Bailey and things like that. And I looked up to Champ as a high school player. And then of course, in my professional career, but at what point did you realize, you know, he was destined for greatness when you played with him at Georgia?
1: His freshman year. So we came out the same year, but mm-hmm. I was five years. You know, he was three years. So yep. we came out the same time, but he he came after me. So I had been at Georgia for two years. I remember the first time he came to practice and his name was Champ, and he had an older brother on the team. Boss? Yes. Well no boss was younger. Oh so, Boss is younger. Yeah, okay, yeah. So the older brother, not many people talk about, was Ronald. And Ronald was like the greatest guy, nicest guy. And the whole when they signed Ronald, they, they didn't realize what they were getting in line for because when they signed Ronald, they got Champ. And boss, both yep. freakiest athletes I've ever been around. But Champ was a freshman. You know, how you come out there as a freshman, shirt shirt tail hanging out. You know, you don't look like much. So he he wasn't fresh and clean like a guy from Miami, like you. So he country <laughs> from South Georgia. He rolls out there wearing number forty two at corner, playing corner. <laughs> no, that yeah. don't even look yeah, right. You, hey, you ain't supposed to be in forty two if you're. A- yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I'm like this man's wearing 42. He can't be very good, and he made about two plays out there. And his arms like ET. He could just reach out and press. Uh-huh. And uh, and he started as a freshman. He played dime safety. He covered the best receiver. I knew right away. I said, man, this guy is special.
2: Now he went on to be special, one of the greatest to do it at UGA, and clearly one of the greatest to do it in the National Football League. And after that, uh, you know, your first big coaching opportunity happened in Tallahassee, Florida. 2002 to 03, you're a graduate assistant, Florida State University under Bobby Bowden, also under Mickey Andrews. Man, what did you learn during your time there at Florida State, you know, from Bobby
1: and from Mickey Andrews? It, it was a great experience. I, mean, I tell people all the time, you know, I work for Nick and Nick is like, Saban is probably one of the best defensive back coaches in terms of like, uh, technique and coverages and scheme, but I learned effort and toughness from Mickey Andrews. I mean, I used to sit in those meetings and I would want to coach, well, if they do this, we need to check this, we need to do this to stop this. And man, Mickey wouldn't have it, None of that. It was straight jet, robber, and it was straight. Over <laughs> and let me tell you something. If you didn't, if you didn't cover him or hit him hard enough, you had to hit him harder. You know, there wouldn't yeah. like answer. You had to hit him harder. And he 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 coached effort to you guys. I used to sit in that meeting. I'd be like, man, this guy. He, y'all used to run, you know, sprints at the end of practice, and he would. Either yep. Thumbs up, or <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm down. I got a backside corner. Who's not running hard enough?
2: That's it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the 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 standard though, the standard that y'all held each other to in the practice, y'all were flying. And I'd be like, man, these guys are dying to get a thumbs up. You know, like, hey, but Kirby, we used to really
2: appreciate you because you always gave us that thumbs up. <laughs> We'd be looking for Kirby. Like, we know we're going to get that.
1: thumbs hey, up. For Kirby. Hey, I, was here I was scared of Darnell Dockett. I was <laughs> scared <laughs> of Darnell
2: Hey, but here come Andrews. I'm down. I got a defensive end who's not running fast enough. And he's high as a kite. We're like, come <laughs> on, coach, man, coach, man. I tell people all the time, man, that and he is the, the one individual throughout my playing career. On any level, that made me think I can go above and beyond the task that was called upon for me to do. Right, exactly. The, the, the mental, the mental coaching he displayed and he he gave us weekend and we week got was like, like you say off record before we got before we started recording. You said he couldn't coach right now. <laughs> he
1: <laughs> didn't coach, man. Hey, what about goal line? When y'all do that you oh. smoke technique?
2: That
0: smoke technique.
2: That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> hey, hey, Kirby. So a few weeks ago, we had Antonio Camardi on the show. <laughs> And he talked about that smoke technique. Can you please, as a ball coach, can you please tell our listeners and
1: viewers what Uh, the freaking smoke technique was and why it don't make any sense to have a corner involved (laughs) today? How about this? I just just walked out of, I just walked out of my defensive meeting, getting ready for Cincinnati, right? And we're doing goal line today, today goal line practice. We're still doing the same goal line. The difference is we have defensive ends doing the smoke. So they weigh 270 pounds. You know, they're the smokers at Mickey Andrews goal line technique. He had corners who weighed 175, 180 pounds playing D-end and coming off the edge, and they were so low to the ground. Yes, <laughs> yes. Under them. We and had he to made the do back.
2: it over and over. And he wanted you to go with all the speed you have, maximum speed, not to mention in our practices, we had to tackle Greg Jones, who was about 250, straight Rip City, all muscle. He wanted you to run straight into number six. <laughs> And Make sure you knock him back. We like, Coach, that doesn't even make any sense, coach. Give me a man that's gonna get in there and get in a fight. That's give me a DB who's gonna get in there and get in a fight. Uh, Leroy
1: Smith, he used to love, he loved any DB that was short and could do smoke technique. And yes, sir, the hip of the tight end, you had to, yeah, the hip of the tight end,
2: pinch the hip, yeah, no question, man. Corey Andrews, man, I, I love him to death because he's a heck of a ball coach. And like I said, man, yo. Coming up in the coaching ranks for you, Kirby man, and it's no it's no surprise you're, you're as successful as you you've been because look who you've been around. I mean, right. iconic coaching individuals. And then leaving Tallahassee, you get an opportunity to go with old Saint Nick, is what I call him, who mm. likes to deliver the, the gifts. Nick Saban in 2004 and this is crazy because I looked at you guys as staff right at that time Nick Saban was the head ball coach you had Jimbo Fisher you yep. had Derek Dooley you had yep. Will Muschamp and just talk yep. about that coaching room that you guys that you were a part of at that time in you know, 04. yeah
1: that was incredible for me that was my first time really stepping into the waters of a full-time job and uh, Bobby Williams was on that staff who had been head coach at Michigan State and done a tremendous job he's at Oregon now I mean that staff was just unreal how many good coaches were on it and uh, Nick's Cer- Surrounded us and really coached us, and and you know he always tells that, that was one of his favorite staffs because he had so many either coaches' sons because you know Derek Dooley was a coach's son, Muschamp was a coach's son. So many of us had kind of grown up around it, and he was tough on us, but nobody ever complained, nobody ever whined or did anything. We just kept right on going and won a lot of football games with him doing it. And then Nick goes to Miami,
2: and it's crazy because I don't know if you remember <laughs> this when you went with Nick to Miami. The first preseason game, I think you guys played Pittsburgh. I got a chance. Yeah. Yeah. You're the DV coach. I got a chance to say a few words to you. Then I'm like, man, me and Kirby just keep crossing paths. It it happens somehow. But, you know, tell us about that experience and how surprised were you when Nick gave you the call like, yo, Kirby, I want you to because at that time, Nick was in route. His trajectory of college football was Headed upwards, and then he leaves to go to National Football League. But how surprised were you to get that call, and what was that experience like for you?
1: That was very unique for me because I didn't have – my my experience in the NFL was short-lived because I didn't make it. You know, I got cut. So when I got an opportunity to go coach there, I was actually at Georgia, as so the running back's coach, and I wanted to be on defense. You know, that was my passion, my love. I wanted to be with DBs. So when I got a chance to go to Miami and coach defense, I was like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime. They say, you know, coaching in college is like getting your college degree. Well, coaching in the NFL is like getting your Ph.D., you know? Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to get a chance to go coach really good players, learn a lot, and uh, got to be around Dom Capers, some really good coaches. That really helped me to do that. I, I, I remember that uh, that night you're talking about against the Steelers, because you know what's really funny is that the receiver on the team was Hines Ward, and yep. Hines and I came into Georgia together. And I forget, I'm the DB coach on the sideline, and you know, Hines was known as a real physical blocker. He was really yep. tough physical. He was holding one of our DB. And I'm yelling at the official on the sideline. Heinz is holding. He's holding. He's holding. And Heinz looked at me and smiled. And he said, you know, they ain't calling that on me in this league. He said, <laughs> in this league. I was so mad because I played with him. Yeah. Uh, and you know what type of play it he was.
2: Oh, no question. No question. And of course, you know, you guys leave Miami and go to Alabama, right? And, uh, you know, just looking at that opportunity and, and one thing I can say about college football, you know, I got to tip my hat to, to great individuals who do it for a very, very long time. And Nick Saban has been an outstanding coach. But because of his success, the coaches that coach under him, they get head coaching opportunities as well. But it seems like for whatever reason, whenever his assistants face off against him as a head coach, they don't do well. He's 23-0. and What do you think is his the recipe for his dominance against his assistants when it comes to head coach on head coach?
1: I tell people this all the time. His resume against everybody is that way. No you know, question. Like, like so, with the winning percentage is 100% against his assistants. That's incredible. He's 23 and 0. In most of those games, in most of those games, his team was much better than the other team, regardless of who was coaching them. And you look at his record against anybody since he's been in Alabama, it's pretty strong. You know, uh, I think Gus uh, Gus Malzahn had a pretty good record against him, and Hugh Freeze did a pretty <laughs> good job there at Ole Miss and, and got him twice. But outside of that. There's nobody really beating Alabama a lot in terms of, uh, consistently because they got really good players. He does a really good job of not beating himself and he has an excellent staff and he's got good players. You know, no I would be the first to admit inevitably it's probably going to happen if you play enough games. And if one of his former staffers has a really talented team, they're going to have an opportunity to. And hey, we've had as good a chance as any, you know, we let them at the half this year. And then, uh, the, the other two times we didn't finish in the fourth. So yeah. we know we've got a good team. We know we've got a, a great opportunity, but eventually it's going to happen. But he's, yeah. he's a good he's He's as good a ball coach and he'll go down in history in a really competitive era. You know, there were these eras back in the, the old days where a team just dominated. He's been in a extremely competitive era. Yeah. It's been dominant. Yeah. His overall winning percentage, I think it's like 88% or something like that, which is crazy.
2: You know, crazy. the consistency is clearly, it has been well documented and. I think UGA, if I'm not mistaken, they tried to make a play at you in 2010 to be their DC. And you said no. And I think that surprised a lot of people because you played ball at Georgia. You had ties, you had legit ties to UGA, but you said no. Why did you turn that opportunity down and decided to stay uh, with uh, Bama? It's
1: one of the toughest decisions I've ever, I've ever had to make because it was a career path of, you know, I knew Georgia could be successful. I knew we could go there and be really good on defense um, I felt that we could do the same in Alabama and uh and you're in a pretty secure spot when you're saying, Okay, I'm working for a guy that I know we're gonna be able to win championships. I'm growing as a coach. i have been with Nick at that point for maybe four years, maybe five years. I think we just won our first national championship against Texas out in the Rose Bowl and mm-hmm. a big win and had an opportunity to go home, but I just didn't know if it was right yet. You know, be Mac and you're just like, Man, I don't I don't know if it's the right time to do this. I still want to grow and develop, and I wanted my next step. I mean, to be a head coach, I wanted to, to learn to be. I wasn't ready to be a head coach then, but I wanted to become a better uh, uh head coach and be in a position to do that. And just never felt like it was right. And I talked to my wife about it, and just wasn't time to come home. But it yeah, off in, in waiting.
2: It all it, it all played out well for you. Before we transition to UGA, uh, you got any
1: funny stories with Nick Saban? Yeah, I've got quite a I've got quite a few funny stories about Nick. One one I've I rarely like to share, but I'll share is in golf. He's probably the most competitive guy, and I love golf. I compete in golf. I enjoy golf. It's fun. You know, not everybody enjoys playing golf with Nick because he's not like you know the most personal. He's not gonna go out there and just talk and shoot shit stories on the tee box. He's trying to win, right? Yeah. Trying to beat you. And and so he on the first tee box everybody has a kind of an unwritten rule you know you get two off the first tee like get warmed up I'm going to hit two balls off the first tee so I hit my first one bad and I'm like all right I gotta get my other one we didn't warm up we don't we don't stretch I and mean, we go straight from the office go play so I hit my second one out in the fairway he hits his first one out in the fairway pretty good and he doesn't use what he calls his mulligan so he's mm-hmm. I'm keeping that I'm like where I play you don't you don't get a mulligan like later on you can either use it on the first hole but that's it so me and him are in a dead lock match we get the hole 18 I'm finally up on him like two strokes up on 18 I got him I hit the ball right down the middle on 18 I know I'm gonna win now he hits his drive on 18 out in the woods and he says I'm gonna use my mulligan I'm like <laughs> from the first hole he goes mulligan and use it on that hole I'm like you can't do that. You know, <laughs> Mulligan ends up, ends up like tying me on the score and still claims I never beat him. And I'm like, that, that, that's not right. You know, that's nothing. You can't pull out a Mulligan on 18. I didn't know he was nice on the course though. That's, that's new information. Yeah. Oh, okay. So,
2: so, so what about this? Let me hit you with this question. If you could rank the top five coaches you golf with, right? Who would be in that top five amongst all the coaches you golf with and you respect, you respect them as a golfer and they respect you as a golfer. Who would be in that top five? Wow. I would probably
1: say Hugh Freeze. Mm-hmm. The best I've ever been around. He, Hugh Freeze would be number one. Yeah, Hugh Freeze would be one. Okay, Nick probably Nick would probably be two, and that's amazing because you know Nick's a little bit older, but Nick hits the ball really well for his uh-huh. age. So Saban's two for me. Three, man, I don't forget anybody. I I would probably say uh, Matt Luke would be okay. uh, uh, three. Mel Tucker can play some golf at Michigan State. Coach yeah, can hit a golf ball. And last would probably be Gus Malzahn. Gus- oh, okay. That's a pretty I would love to see that. I think we can do like a celebrity, you know,
2: uh, uh golf match with co- college coaches. You know, maybe the proceeds can go to wherever charity would be. I think that would be major. That would be fun. That'd be great television for people. No to see. question. We need to get that at Bad CBS golf too. Some guys yes. in and missing. Yeah, cuz when you the, the names that you mention, unless I guess if you personally know them or know someone that knows them, you might not know that they really play a or lot a of golf. Golfers yeah exactly and they're pretty good at the sport so that would be definitely would be dope that would be quality content i think hey cbs shout out to cbs let's see if we can make that happen so let's transition to your current opportunity like you said in 2010 they wanted you to be a dc right at uga you felt like the time was not right for you to move and eventually you wanted your next step to be a head coach
1: uga calls you how special was that moment for you it was awesome I mean, it's where I always wanted to be. I wanted to come home. You rarely get, you know, you want a head job somewhere and you, you don't control where that is. So it's kind of like, well, what if it's this place or what if it's that place? Do you take it? Or, you know, I, I couldn't sit there and wait on Georgia forever because Mark Rick had had a lot of success. He'd been yeah. very successful at Georgia. And I didn't know if it was ever going to come open. So... Uh It came open, and they made the call, and, you know, I know my wife was happy because she got to move closer to her parents. She's a Georgia basketball player, women's basketball player that played here, and then I got to move closer to my parents, so it ended up being just a, a great opportunity, and, you know, it's one of the top five, ten jobs in the country. in no question. Facilities and yeah. uh, financial support and, and athletic department support, it's all there. And
2: how often do you think about that 2017 National Championship game?
1: Ooh, well, uh, you know, you get so busy as a coach, you get to keep your mind. When it hits me mostly is when the national championship's going on. You know, yeah. and you're watching it, and you know what it means to play in that game, and uh, that that whole time seems so surreal for 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 me and us because it was wild. We had to fly to California to play in the Rose Bowl. You know, we come back and win that game, yeah. and then you know we're, we're flying back on an all night flight, and we're six days away from kicking off. And, and hey, uh, yo, know, Curry, real quick, that's something I don't like. I don't like
2: the first ball game being so far away, especially right. when you know where the national championship game is going to be. I understand you want to solidify your obligations and the bowl rights and things like that, but you have to really take in consideration the players. right? You know what I mean? That's tough. Like you just say, How about yeah. last year yeah. or
1: whatever year? What year was Alabama and Clemson played in, in California, right? Yep. And they're playing way out there. And you got all these kids' families having to travel – to go play in this game, you know, yeah, it's tough. Played out that way. It's tough now, but all that's predetermined in a lot of us based on money. But when you're in a national championship game against two Southeastern teams and it's being played out West, those parents traveling, it's tough.
2: Yes, yeah, it's, t- it's tough. And, and the thing that I, I remember about that ball game, number one, that was an entertaining ball game. I oh, mean, yeah. I, if you love ball, you appreciated how both teams went at each other, how both coaches made adjustments on the fly. Oh. But, when Tua Tonga Falola came into that ball game, number one, you didn't know a lot about him. You knew, as every top flight recruit, they have potential. But did you think, or did you anticipate him coming in, coming in there with the coolness that he displayed and just was letting it go like how he did?
1: No, it was a shock. You know what got us is I'd heard all year from friends in Tuscaloosa that they liked the younger quarterback better than Jalen. I kept hearing that. I would hear that. Now, of course, I didn't think we were going to play them because we weren't scheduled to play them. I thought, well, if we make it the SEC Championship, we'll play Alabama. And then it played out where we played Auburn. And I had heard all this stuff about, you know, the younger quarterbacks can throw the ball better. He can do more stuff. But he was only – he was getting to play mop-up time, you know. Mm -hmm. And and, and, and they didn't have many games. that They got forced to do it. And then in our game, you know, I knew at halftime, I said, guys, they may have to make a change here because they're struggling – they're not scoring. People forget that he came in and actually threw a pick on a strange play, like a busted play. The receiver was blocking downfield and DeAndre Baker picks off a pass yep. to a through to him. The receiver must have got the wrong call. Like he thought it was a sprint-out run and he throws a pick. And I'm like, man, this guy's you know, he's struggling a little bit. We sacked him a couple of times, had him confused, and then the next thing you know. He starts throwing dimes, and yeah. the throw he made against quarter quarter halves, you know, oh. corner should jam him. He looks the safety off. Yes, yeah, it. Hey,
2: I was so Dude. amazed to see a freshman look the safety off and knew exactly where he was going. He didn't hesitate when he looked the safety off and went straight to Devontae and dropped that It was and as a safety Kirby, you got to understand, and you played the game, and a lot of people don't understand that the eyes can manipulate can manipulate you in many different ways and me personally if I was at safety I'm not anticipating this freshman to look me off and then go backside so I'm right. following his eyes because I'm thinking his eyes gonna, his, his eyes gonna take me to where the ball is but that right play that play might be one of the more I think I'm probably his biggest play in his collegiate career because just the magnitude of the ball game yep. and the professional skill set that he displayed as a freshman was something that you don't usually see and you got to oh. know ball to understand and appreciate that type stuff
1: absolutely it, it, it was like he knew what he was doing at a young age, like, like he the whole play, like he knew the whole time, I'm going to look over here and I'm going to bang it back there. And he did. It was right after he just taken a sack, too.
2: Yeah, yeah. And think about that. The the recipient of that pass is the guy we highlighted earlier. And Devontae Smith just a ball. He been making plays, like you said, eighth grade, ninth grade, forever.
1: Hey, I, I know you happy he's going on now. And, and, and get ready to get drafted. <laughs> get him out of here. Get him out of our league. Him and Waddle. Oh, no question. No, how fast is Waddle, Kirby? Because, oh, my God. Listen, Let me tell you something. He can go now. Is he faster than Ruggs, you think? That's going to be interesting to see what he runs. we got people on our staff that think he's faster than Ruggs. It's I think, I, I think he is. I don't know how healthy he'll be, but he can run.
2: Yeah, no question. No question about it. And when you look at college football to be successful in college football, you got to be able to recruit. And uh, Alabama has seven straight number one recruiting classes, uh, many of which you were part of. You were bringing in some top flight prospects when you were there. But Georgia broke that streak coming in at number one in 2018. Uh, what did that moment signal for you? And do you always measure yourself when it comes to recruiting against the likes like Alabama and some of the other elite schools in the SEC?
1: Yeah, I always try to look at it, be back at the end of the guys' careers. Like this year, we go back and we take a look and say, all right, our fourth-year guys, how do they turn out? Did they reach their potential? Did they not reach their potential? The three-year guys, you know, you'll have some juniors come out that are actually in the class, the younger, and I always want to measure them on the back end because it's such a – you know, the recruiting rankings – they they're not always accurate. They don't I mean, they're they're closer to accurate than anything else, but they're not perfect. They don't know, you know, a level a kid plays on and things like that. So we try to look at it on the back end and say, How did we do? How many yeah. of these kids graduated, how many of these kids ended up being, you know, NFL prospects, and how many, you know what, just got burnt out and maybe never got good enough. And we try to look at it from that perspective. And we've been fortunate. I mean, we good thing is we got one of the best states for high school football and then Florida's just right down the road. So yeah. five hour radius. Is some really, really good players.
2: No, no question. Like you said, some pro- programs in college football, the name itself recruits. Right? right. And then, of course, the coaches got to come in and finish the deal. And luckily for you, you had a program. When you see that UGA, when you see that G, you understand who's walking through your hallways, who's coming in your neighborhood. So uh, that's a big benefit to have for you and some of the other elite coaches in college football. Kirby, we're getting ready to wrap it up. But before we do, I want to transition and hit you to the superlative part of our show. I hit you with rapid fire questions. You give me your unbiased, honest answer. Uh, the first question for you. I, I know fans want to hear this answer coming from you. The biggest recruit that got away. Oh, wow. Okay, it's a two-part. Give me your answer as an assistant yeah. and your answer as a head coach. The biggest All recruit right. that got
1: away. The biggest one that got away at Georgia. Oh, my man, my mind just drew a blank. You got to help me out. Golly. I'm what was to- offense, the Carolina Panthers draft pick played at Auburn. Carolina Panthers draft pick, top 10. Uh-huh. Last year, uh, uh, Derek Brown. Derek Brown. Kyle, I don't know why I forgot that one. Derek when Brown. I got away. I always tell people, if we get Derek Brown, we may, we, we may beat Alabama in that game. Oh, <laughs> Derek hey, Derek he, Brown is a, was a grown man. He's a grown man.
2: Ooh, yeah. Cause is he is from man. Georgia. You know what's funny? That's I did a, right. I did an Instagram live with Derek Brown during the yeah. off season when the pandemic hit and he mentioned to me the hate that he had for Georgia because he went yeah. to Auburn and he was
1: from Georgia. Yeah. It makes sense now. Right down the road, he would be yep. he would be one of the biggest ones. And then the next one is an assistant at Alabama. We got most of the guys we recruited. I probably lost uh, a couple guys while at Alabama, and most of the time I lost them. You lost them to LSU or you lost them to Georgia. Uh, yep. Now, ironically, I had a lot of kids that I recruited. I would say maybe Nick Chubb is probably the best oh. I had because we tried to get him in Alabama. But people forget this: we had just signed at Alabama in one recruiting class, Alvin Kamara. All right, and Derrick Henry and two other backs. So Alvin wow. Derek Henry came two other backs, and Nick Chubb's following that up the next year. He said, No, thank you. I'm not like, <laughs> he went to uh he went to Georgia. Hey, you're a smart man because one thing
2: about Bama, especially when you were there, yeah, I had no problem recruiting running backs. None. None at all. They yeah. still do a great job, but man, listen, yeah, Nick Chubb made the best decision for him because it worked out. You know yes, what I mean? Yeah. And one thing I can say about Alabama and Georgia when it comes to running backs you guys do it best when when you're yeah. recruiting that is yeah. you know you, you guys do a phenomenal job in recruiting big-time backs that go on to have professional careers uh, you played in a lot of title games especially when you were with Alabama but what's your most memorable title game with the Crimson Tide title win uh-huh title win with probably LSU,
1: but we the rematch game. One of the most mm-hmm. games I've ever seen where we just lost nine six and we had to turn around and play them about a month later. And we shut them out in, in Louisiana in, in yep. the Super Bowl, and shut them down and beat them. And it was actually, it was Jordan Jefferson. You know, he was a quarterback. So yep. uh, it was, it was a, it was a hell of a game, but that that's probably my most memorable, just because you get a shutout in college football, that's unheard of that's when Mickey Andrews has one of the baseballs with a nail through it. If you get a shutout, you get an extra toy.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No question. <laughs> for us, you're doing with Florida State. You shut out. We get added tomahawks on that helmet. That's right. Yes, sir. That's right. Toughest quarterback you ever game plan for?
1: Golly, man, I, I would have to go with Cam Newton. You know that 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 was a nightmare. But just because he was so big and so physical, mm-hmm. the plays he could run. I mean, you could have everybody there, and you couldn't tackle him. You know, yeah. he to the SEC now. Grown man league, and he he rushed for so many yards. I mean, Mansell was a nightmare, but he just didn't physically beat you up. You know? Did you play against uh Deshaun Watson when you were at Bama? You know, we did. We beat him in the national championship. Oh, you did beat him, yeah. It was a nightmare there. Now, he he was unbelievable, but he came back the next year and beat Bama. But my last game at Bama was the game we beat Clemson in the national championship. And, and, and then, he, yeah, and y'all won that game. They scored yeah. at will. as Kenyon Drake kickoff return. O.J. Howard played big. We made a bunch of plays on offense to beat them. Yeah. But
2: Cam, like you said, Cam Newton was sp-
1: spectacular, and that yeah. game he
2: had against Bama, against you guys. Woof. Woof. I mean, what else you could What else you could ask for from a quarterback,
1: right? He took it over. He
2: took it over. Uh, no question. No question. Last question for you. And this is this. I want. I really want to hear your answer, and I need an answer from you, right? <laughs> game. It's a game seven like situation. Championship on the line. It's life or death. You win, you stay alive. You lose, you probably die. You mm. need a head coach for this particular ball game. Who are you taking, Nick
1: Saban or Bobby Bowden? Oh wow, that's a tough one right there. Now, yeah, uh, and you say I got to have an answer to this one? Yes, you got to have an answer. To I'm gonna I'm I'm take I'm gonna take Nick as the defense coordinator. And I'm gonna take Bobby as the OC. So, are oh, you go finesse me. You go finesse me.
2: And you know, if you if you do that, you know who gonna have something
1: to say. Mickey Andrews, he's gonna be cussing you out from <laughs> oh, left yeah. to right. There's you no know doubt about that? There's no doubt, Mickey gonna be the DB coach. He'll be working for Mickey like that.
2: Hey, you better have some mentally strong, tough DBs because he's going to run everybody out of town.
1: Yeah, they'll all quit. They'll be in
2: the portal. No question, they will be in the portal like tomorrow. They would be in the portal instantly, instantly. But, hey, Curry, man, appreciate you uh, for giving us a little bit of your time. We know you're busy, man. Yep. Uh Best of luck this upcoming Friday against Cincinnati. Uh Stay healthy. Continue to do the job you've been doing. I got to come check you out in Athens, too, when everything gets back to being a bit normal. I got to come check you out. I'm not too far away from you. So, man, it's always been a pleasure. You've been an outstanding individual since the first day I met you in 1999 in December. I can't remember what yeah. weekend that was yeah. when I met you uh here in Atlanta, but man, it's a pleasure, man, being in your life and you being in my life, man, continue to keep doing what you're doing. You're on, I'm only a phone call away. And once sure. again, man, appreciate you for joining us here on All Things Covered.
1: Thank you, B-Man. Y'all got an incredible show. I've loved uh, following it and following your success. And to be able to say that I coached a guy like you and to see you transition your career from on the field to off makes me Makes me, I'm just pumped for you that you've been able to do it. You tell Pat P. Now I still remember that game when him and Julio, LSU and Bama were going at it. I think yeah. he had to avoid me because Julio got the best of him that night. So Pat P. didn't want to come on the show with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> but hey, I'm gonna <laughs> make sure. I wanna make
2: sure I tell him that. And also too, Pat thinks he's a top flight golfer. So at some point in time, when you and all these top flight
1: coaches that you named yes. got some free time, we gotta try. I, I hey, gotta he played. To- he played in a tournament, Arian's tournament over the summer over at my where my lake house is, and I saw he was dressed to the nines man he was dressed clean and he was knocking the hell out of the ball he can oh go- he can go yeah he can go he got a he got a freaking digital range in his house like like golfing
2: is his thing i Dang. gotta find a way to talk to the powers that be with, the, with cbs i think that would be must-see tv guys like yourself saving hugh freeze yeah. uh mel all you elite college hey, coaches good. On the
1: mark england mark england really Mark Ingram can hit it. Yes, sir.
2: Because I asked Pat, I asked Pat about, uh, his top golfers. So we had JR Smith on the show who also golfs a lot. Yep. And now uh, Pat didn't mention Mark Ingram. I know he right. said Adam Thielen can go. He said yep. Adam Thielen is very, very good on the course. So, I mean, that, that would be, that would be lovely. I awesome. mean, that would be great awesome. if we can make that happen. You tell Pat P will
1: go playing. and He's got more money than me, so we can gamble a little bit.
2: <laughs> hey, but one thing I can say about coaches, your check is guaranteed, Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's guaranteed that you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> it's guaranteed. But I appreciate you, Kirby. We're going to tune in and Thank check you me. guys out this upcoming Friday against Cincinnati. Once again, join us here. All things covered. Kirby Smart, you are our third head coach on the show. We had Mike Tomlin on. We had Jimbo Fisher on. And now we got Kirby Smart on. And all awesome. the coaches that came before you, they're doing real well. They're doing real Good well. Good luck. I like it. I like no it. No question. No question. Call me rabbit Thank foot, you. coach. Appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks again to Kirby Smart. And thanks to everyone listening and watching us on this episode of All Things Covered. Please make sure you subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back again tomorrow with a full-length episode with Pat Peterson, where you can expect all things to be covered. Peace.
0: Hey, everyone. This is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast, And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time.